trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hi there, and welcome to the show. Hey, whether you're a longtime wrong thinker or just, uh, you know, newly freedom curious, I'm glad you're part of our audience today. Our program is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, also by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and also by LifesavingFood.com. I don't know if you were aware of this. I actually had kind of forgotten, but September is National Preparedness Month. And I've been a longtime preparedness advocate. I I just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's more of a lifestyle than an immediate, oh, things are happening, maybe we should get prepared. I think this is the kind of thing that you do consistently over time, and it brings you peace of mind. But in celebration of National Preparedness Month, Life Saving Food is offering my listeners a 20% discount. And it doesn't matter if you're using that discount to purchase a starter food kit or a 72-hour kit, a survival kit, maybe a long-term supply. 20% savings, but you have to use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout. Now, I've provided a link for you in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Keep in mind, this is a limited-time offer. This is only good through September 25th. But it might be a good idea to take advantage of you know, this uh, this offer from lifesavingfood.com, you know, just in case things ever got unstable for some reason. Can't imagine they would, but, you know, stranger things have happened, right? Anyway, check it out for yourself. And, uh, again, use the coupon code HIDE at checkout to save yourself 20%. So, I hope I'm not the only one who has concerns the challenges ahead of us might spiral out of control. What we've seen happen in the last 19 months has been pretty eye-opening for a lot of people and and pretty demoralizing as well. I like Paul Rosenberg's take saying, don't stress about a Mad Max future. If there's a collapse ahead, he says it will likely lead to better things in the long run. Let me share with you some of the thoughts he has on this. He says, yes, we've all seen scary post-apocalyptic films like Mad Max or TV shows like Jericho. A real collapse, however, he says, will be quite different from such dramas. And he says, beyond that, there's actually a good chance the future will be better. He says, from where I now live, you could draw a 25-mile arc that would include competent people of almost any imaginable specialty. The guys who know how to build and repair refrigerators, machines of all types, cars and roads and houses and windows and computers and a thousand other things. So he says, I'm not overly worried about the dollar going to zero as long as these guys have two critical things. Number one, they must be able to communicate with each other. And number two, they must be left alone with no one telling them, you can't do that without our permission. He says, if either one of these two things are missing, we're screwed. But as long as we have them, we'll be okay. Now, sure, there will be some bad days, a few tragedies, and a surfeit of terror from the fear factories, that is the mainstream media. But in general, Paul Rosenberg is saying productive people will be okay. He says, I knew men who ran a business through the Great Depression. Precisely in in his, uh, he says, in precisely my specialties, which were contracting and engineering. 
And so he sat down with them and they discussed the difficulties they faced and how they coped with them. They worked through the depression end to end and they did some pretty impressive projects with absolutely no credit available anywhere. How did they do it? Well, they paid for things creatively, in sections, with barter and on trust. But they also got the job done from the beginning of the depression to the end. And so he says one period of difficulty, which most of us presume will be coming somehow or another, will be different from the Great Depression. Or our period of difficulty will be different from the Depression. But as long as we retain the two items mentioned above, we have to be able to communicate with each other and we must be left alone, meaning nobody telling us you can't do that without our permission. He says then we're going to be okay. We will get through it. So here's how he walks us through This is the bad stuff. Let's just say, for instance, there was a complete dollar collapse. What can you expect? Okay, here's the bad stuff. Number one, fear. Scaring the populace will be the first and essential tool of the rulers. Government relies far more on legitimacy than on force, so the rulers will be very keen on using their number one tool to keep people clustering around them for safety. That's a primary strategy for them. He says you'll also see welfare riots, and this is possible and even probable in some places, presuming that government checks either stop or those checks no longer matter due to massive inflation. However, he says, we all know which areas are likely to be hit and we can avoid them. If you're in one, he says, you should be doing something about it now. And as horrifying as such a thing may be and should be, Americans, Canadians, and a serious number of Europeans still do have guns and will eventually shoot rioters if they're beating down their neighbor's doors. Also, he warns, in the, end of, in the event of a collapse of the dollar, you would see supply chain disruptions. Since the big corporations are so tightly associated with governments, they will not adapt as quickly as small companies do. In fact, they may lock up while waiting for instructions. This is why stores of key commodities, like food and communication, will be necessary. There's also the risk of war. And he says, this is the traditional distraction from disappointments and government failures. Now, at the time he wrote this, which I think was back in 2013, Syria seemed to be the leading candidate at the moment. Maybe North Korea or some other distant monster will fit the bill. I mean, today, it's what? Domestic terrorism, domestic extremism. Yeah, but war is definitely on the table. There's also the danger of no credit. Now, as scary as that seems to some people, the reality won't be nearly as debilitating as imagined, except for the mega corporations. People will adapt. They'll go back to a 19th century way of buying and selling. Adjustment will be required, but farmers will still need to sell their food, and they'll find ways for productive people to pay them. And there may also be a lack of currency. Dollars will fail in this scenario, along with euros, pounds, and so forth. But there won't be a debilitating lack of currency for two reasons. Lots of people have gold and silver, which are always good. And we have Bitcoin, as well as other cryptocurrencies, which is good currency worldwide. There's one other danger that he points out here, and that is shuttered fire departments. The rulers won't close too many police stations since they want to retain their image as saviors and they need people to fear them. But fire departments and other things may be let go. The scarier things first. But again, as long as we can communicate and adapt, we can just arrange for necessary services in different ways. He says, remember, most of us are blowing 20 to 30 hours per week on TV. We have way more free time than we think we do. 
isn't it interesting all the things he was listing? Again, this was written in, in uh, 2013. He was talking about dollar collapse, but I see a lot of this stuff being applicable in the event of a pandemic. And some of the things that he warns about, yep, yep, definitely risks that we see. The, the supply chain disruption, that's a big one. So Paul Rosenberg says, the future will be better if we take care of these two big risks. There are very simple solutions to our two crucial issues, but he remembers simple doesn't always mean easy. So the solutions are people must be able to communicate with each other. He says that one's actually pretty easy. The solution is mesh networks. And he actually has a link in there that uh, will tell you a little bit about what that is. Local networks built with simple Wi-Fi devices, then combined with a few longer links that could create a very nice communications network. Now, you won't be able to use it for videos, but it'll work well for basic communications. Though he says you really should keep a small electric generator and some gas. And the second part was they must be left alone with no one telling them that you can't do that without our permission. This is for the productive people. And he says the solution to this one is very simple. Do it anyway. Whatever you think of your local government, I very much doubt you think they have a right to starve you, which is what failing to act in your own survival comes out to. So the rule of thumb here is if it's moral, do it. Stop waiting for permission. So while the big collapse, assuming that it does come, will be terrifying to inveterate TV watchers, the reality is actually going to be far less apocalyptic than promised. Assuming that we productive people act like producers. And as producers, we have so much more choice than the others. Indeed, in one way, he says, we could see the collapse as an opportunity to start fresh. And the future will be better if we ultimately say so. I like his, his way of thinking here. And I, I realize it may not translate perfectly into our situation. But for instance, the, the practice right now of trying to squeeze the unvaccinated into that uncomfortable corner where you are not free to do anything. You're not free to shop. You're not free to be entertained. You're not free to travel. You're not free to work. This is begging for people to build something parallel to our current society. Doesn't need to be a mirror image. After all, our current society has some pretty big flaws that we probably wouldn't want to repeat. But this is the task for productive people. I'm assuming you're a productive person or you wouldn't be listening to this message. Got a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Please check it out. Let's get to work. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. You know, I'm just full of encouragement today, and it's probably because I was able to stumble across just some great gems that I am sharing with you, and you'll find them all listed in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. So you hear me talk about a particular article that sparks your interest. Yep, that's where you want to go. And, you know, is it bad that uh, many of the people I admire most are the people who are refusing to go along with authoritarian demands? Off the top of my head, one of the people who really stands out is uh, the gym owner in, in New Jersey. And I don't even know the guy's name. I can't tell you the name of his gym. If I, if I thought about it hard enough or if I could Google on the fly, I could probably come up with it for you. But 
Maybe you've seen the guy, the big bearded dude who was told over and over again, you will shut down your gym. I mean, they threatened him in every way possible. They fined him thousands upon thousands of dollars just for having his gym open. He refused to bend the knee and kept his gym open and actually has become kind of a stalwart figure in the business community of standing up to these insane, you're essential, you're not essential distinctions being handed down by local governments and enforced by their police. I admire people like that. And I admire the people who do it in smaller ways, less public ways, you know, who just assert their rights and refuse to go along with what they're being told to do. Well, Hannah Cox has a surprisingly encouraging essay on four ways that Americans are fighting back against anti-science COVID restrictions. What's more American than good old-fashioned civil disobedience? Hannah Cox says, In the U.S., it would be easy to believe that the vast majority of people are in lockstep with the government's pandemic policies. Networks are aflush with headlines claiming their polls show a majority of Americans support policies like masks and vaccine mandates. And, of course, detractors are painted as fringe. Well, she says every good political knows that with the right framing, you can get a poll to say anything you want it to. But aside from the unreliable nature of the polls and headlines dominating our airwaves, there is another problem with the media's reporting. They never seem to elevate stories that tell a counter-narrative. Now, one doesn't have to look far to find examples of Americans who've simply had enough of the anti-scientific and unconstitutional COVID mandates. We know and have known for over a year that the majority of masks in use provide little benefit in warding off the coronavirus. Additionally, studies have shown that mask mandates failed to reduce COVID deaths, hospitalizations, or even cases. And on top of all that, we consistently see the same leaders who push these unscientific mandates on the rest of us flout the rules whenever it suits their fancy. Like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at the Met Gala, or San Francisco Mayor London Breed partying at a local jazz club. Feeling the spirit! (laughs) Vaccine mandates present similar problems. Hannah Cox says besides being flagrantly unconstitutional and a violation of bodily autonomy... These mandates ignore the natural immunity that millions of people have built up. And the rules only get sillier and more nonsensical from there. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo forced restaurants and bars to close at 10 p.m. earlier this year, as though he thought the coronavirus only came out at night. An athletic association in Ohio allowed students to wrestle, but not shake hands before or after matches. And some hot yoga studios require students to wear a mask from the door to the studio before sweating out every drop of water in their body for the next 60 minutes. So it's easy to see why many people are fed up. And in true American fashion, individuals are taking matters into their own hands and carrying out acts of civil disobedience in response. So Hannah Cox says, here are four big examples of ways that people are fighting back and standing up for our founding principle of individual liberty in the process. First one is Knoxville, Tennessee, Mayor Glenn Jacobs, formerly known as the professional wrestler Kane, wrote a letter to President Biden to tell him that Knox County would not comply with his new executive orders on vaccines. In August, the president unrolled sweeping new orders directing the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to require all businesses with 100 or more employees 
to ensure their workers are vaccinated or tested once a week. She says this is yet another example of a silly pandemic policy as it also ignores the possibility of natural immunity. Furthermore, it's quite obviously unconstitutional for the federal government to mandate the ways private businesses and local governments operate. Jacobs, who's known to be a constitutional stalwart, was having none of it. In his letter, he wrote, quote, as the, as the chief executive of an organization that employs 2,700 individuals, your action adds financial, legal, and regulatory burdens that will ultimately impact Knox County taxpayers. In addition, it potentially hinders our ability to attract quality employees, since many folks in our community will not work somewhere that unjustly imposes vaccine mandates. He says, as a fellow elected official who has sworn an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution, just as you have, I am alarmed by the alacrity with which you issued this order, contradicting both Article 1, Section 1, which vests legislative power in the Congress, and the Tenth Amendment, which recognizes the sovereignty of states or the people over matters the Constitution does not delegate to the federal government. Now that's leadership. Here's the second example Hannah Cox gives. Bus drivers quit over vax mandates as school begins. The Chicago public school system issued a vaccine mandate requiring all employees to be vaccinated by October 15th. In response to the new policy, 73 of the system's public school bus drivers quit the day before fall 2021 semester began. That left 2,100 kids without a ride to school and the district scrambling to make new arrangements. Ultimately, they ended up having to pay parents a $1,000 stipend to use public buses or ride-sharing services to transport their children to school. Now, that's only expected to cover the first two weeks of school, though. Meaning, taxpayers will be left with a hefty bill when all is said and done. And while Chicago's incident got the most attention, they are by no means the only district scrambling to find staff that will comply with their mandates. Business Insider reported a new survey about the bus driver shortage shows just how severe the problem is across the country. The survey found 78% of respondents said the shortage is getting much worse or a little worse per the press release. Over half the respondents, though, described their shortage as severe or desperate. Number three, an example of people fighting back against anti-science COVID restrictions, 125 healthcare workers quit a hospital system in Indiana, the largest hospital system in the state, over vax mandates. Indiana's largest hospital system also attempted to implement a vaccine mandate and was met with swift backlash. A whopping 125 of their staff and personnel decided to leave the system rather than comply with the policy. Now, this comes at a time when hospitals around the country are already facing severe staffing shortages that show no sign of turning around anytime soon. In New York, which is requiring all healthcare workers to get the first dose of the vaccine by September 27th, dozens of staff members walked out of one local hospital. And that facility is now so short-staffed, it recently announced it will no longer be able to deliver babies. Bloomberg reports one in eight nursing professionals do not intend to get the shot, which spells trouble for our entire healthcare system if these mandates persist. Kind of makes you wonder. Who's going to blink? And by the way, I have nothing but the deepest respect for those people who are willing to walk away from a job rather than surrender their 
personal autonomy and bend that knee to take the jab. Can you imagine what a hard decision that must be? I mean, the economic outlook right now, it's not looking terribly rosy. There are a lot of factors that are conspiring to make it very hard for people to find gainful employment. Not to mention, you know, the president piling, you know, all the requirements and mandates on top of it. These people are heroes in every sense of the word. Even though they're being portrayed as villains by some of those, how dare they walk out on their job? Clearly, there are a lot of folks who don't see what's at stake. I'm just grateful for those who do. We'll be back. Just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the show. And can I just add, thank you so much. There are so many different voices and platforms and sources that you can turn to to get a, an idea of what's going on and get an idea of what matters. Thank you for giving me a chance. I really appreciate you being part of my audience. I want to mention, too, I have great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage who make this program possible. Please, if possible, I want you to do business with them. This would be especially applicable to any of my listeners within the state of Utah. If you need a mortgage, whether it's a VA loan or a traditional loan or a reverse mortgage, reach out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They're located in St. George at 619 South Bluff Street. You can call 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Let them know that their message is reaching your ears. So I'm sharing this article from Hannah Cox. This is from the Foundation for Economic Education. Four ways Americans are fighting back against anti-science COVID restrictions. Now, this is only four ways, and we've covered three of them so far. And you may be thinking, yeah, 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 but is it stopping anything? Um, It is not overturning a lot of these mandates, you know, in their tracks. No. But it is definitely applying friction to that ongoing wheel that is slowly crushing people into submission. So I think these are worthy of celebrating. and, And who knows, maybe this will inspire people to make a stand in their own way. The fourth example that Hannah Cox gives is school children defying a mask mandate. Apparently, there's a popular video on TikTok that shows a group of teens peacefully defying their school's masking policy in Michigan earlier this year. Now, the video took place at Manchester Junior and Senior High School in Washtenaw County, Michigan, whose health department issued a masking order shortly before the event. In the video... Parents can be heard encouraging their kids to enter the building saying they cannot touch you and be kind and respectful. The kids chant, let us in and tell the school official guarding the door that the policy is a mandate, not a law. And eventually the official moves out of the way and allows them to enter the building. Now, famous uh, American philosopher Henry David Thoreau often spoke on the virtues of civil civil disobedience by remarking, I was not born to be forced. I will breathe after my own fashion. Let us see who is the strongest. By the way, that quote quote really should be the rallying cry of every person who does not want to be forced into wearing a mask. I will breathe after my own fashion. Let us see who is the strongest. 
Hannah Cox says other giants in our history, such as Martin Luther King Jr., utilized civil disobedience to effect great change. From Vietnam draft resistors to our modern-day examples, civil disobedience is a great American tradition that advances civil liberties and individual rights. And she says these are just a few examples of the ways Americans are allowing are refusing to allow government bureaucrats to run their lives or make decisions for their bodies. In the famous novel Atlas Shrugged, the world's entrepreneurs and creators tire of unjust government edicts and withdraw from participating in a corrupt system. Well, it would seem that many Americans are experiencing an Atlas Shrugged moment and choosing to walk away when pushed to the breaking point by invasive government policies. To which Hannah Cox says, good for them. These cases should serve as a hopeful reminder of the power of the individual and our ability to fight back against government when it oversteps its bounds. I want to springboard from that to uh, Australia, where I watch, I've, I've been watching the police getting more and more brutal and cracking down on the protesters in Australia. And, and boy, tell, you want to talk about a totalitarian crackdown. The lockdowns there have been very, very dystopian. And I hear commentator after commentator asking, how did it come to this? How could it come to this in Australia? And I realized, well, we're very fortunate here in America that we've not had our guns taken away. The Australian people, they have had their guns taken away for their own safety, of course. And we're talking over the course of the last 25 years, gradually, more and more, they have been disarmed and they've been put at the mercy of those who actually have force. And and it may make some people a little bit upset, but... Uh, Aren't you glad that you live in a place where the rednecks and their refusal to bend the knee is uh, is still, you know, something that government has to contend with? Saw a pretty funny article, actually, from the American Conservative. This is by Michael Warren Davis. It's called Thank God for Rednecks. What, who else could keep us from turning into Australia? He says, last summer when all this COVID stuff really kicked off, I got a call from a friend in rural Virginia. He told me a bunch of... Uh, rednecks were going to grocery stores and gas stations, tearing down signs that asked patrons to wear face masks. Now, he says, my friend was annoyed, and so was I. Hey, it's private property. If Sal only wants to sell pizza to folks dressed like Little Bo Peep, and you don't want to dress up as Little Bo Peep, well, go to a different pizzeria. Better yet, cook for yourself. It's not that hard. But he says, now, I thank God every day for those rednecks. A few weeks ago, a friend in Australia called and told me about the country's new COVID app. Residents of South Australia are required to prove they're in quarantine by using face recognition and geolocation on this app. If they fail to check in, the app will notify a bureaucrat with the state's health department. That bureaucrat will then call the police, and the police, in turn, will go to the citizen's home and make sure he's not taking an unauthorized walk so his dog can take a clandestine whiz. We don't tell them how often or when. On a random basis, they have to reply within 15 minutes, said Premier Stephen Marshall. Fair warning, I guess. Then he says, meanwhile, in neighboring Victoria, the government has implemented mandatory contact tracing. The state is forcing customers and stores rather to force customers to check in before they shop. According to Victoria's chief health officer, Professor Brett Sutton, everyone recognizes that we have to do absolutely everything in our power to be able to chase down every single person who may be exposed because it's that one person who is not found who may be the one who spreads it. And you know what? Professor Sutton is right. Since the vaccines aren't 100% effective, 
The only way we can be absolutely sure we eradicate the virus is by identifying every single carrier before they infect everyone else. Well, if that's Australia's objective, they're going to need a lot more than a smartphone app. I'm sure they'll exhaust every resource. And Michael Warren Davis says, and I'm sure the Australians will let them too. You can tell they're descended from prisoners and prison guards. Another Aussie friend once described his country as an ongoing experiment with uh, Jeremy Bentham's Panopticon. Folks there are so worn down by constant government interference, they can't even imagine what true privacy feels like. It's like boiling frogs, and when your country starts out as a penal colony, you're pretty well used to the heat. Now, on the other hand, you can tell Americans are descended from free settlers and freed slaves. Our policy is, and always has been, leave me the hell alone. And it's looking pretty good right about now, too, considering the alternative. He says, look, we can get into niceties about private property laws, and I'll probably agree with you. I'm not saying they're perfect, but I sleep better at night knowing the preppers, the truthers, and talk radio enthusiasts are out there just waiting for an excuse to make life miserable for the government. Seriously, imagine if Ron DeSantis did an about-face and required everyone who shops at Publix to sign up for contact tracing. There would be riots. No, actually there wouldn't, because the good folks who work for Publix would refuse to comply. And if the CDC tried to bring out a COVID app like South Australia's, they would be mooned by thousands upon thousands of Americans every 15 minutes. He says, when it comes to our civil liberties, the first line of defense is an old Marine with a Coors Light in one hand and a Remington 870 in the other. He's got his mask pulled down over his chin and a Winston Red dangling from his lips. He has eight Trump stickers on the back of his truck, one that says Booty Hunter, just to mix things up. He's got the Confederate flag tattooed on his left arm, and of course, he's wearing a MAGA hat. This specter haunts Washington, the specter of middle America. We'll call him Old Red. Old Red looms over every meeting of the CDC, the FBI, the DHS, and the ATF. They never speak of him, but they all see him. And the apparatchiks know the moment they overstep their authority, they're going to have to deal with hundreds of thousands of pissed-off rustics. Really, there's no telling how many Beltway power grabs were abandoned for fear of the Great White Rube. So as bad as things are getting here in the States, we can't fathom how much worse things would be without these down-home heroes. Sure, they might carry their paranoid anti-government theories a little too far, but their paranoia is far from unfounded. And even if they sometimes overreact, they keep America from falling into the opposite extreme, creeping tyranny, Aussie-style. You can't boil a frog if he flips out every time you reach for the knob. Like them, he says, I'd prefer the burdens of liberty to a warm, sterile despotism. And that seems like an old-fashioned all-American instinct to me. I can't see Davy Crockett sheltering in place because the Department of Health asked him to. I can't see Teddy Roosevelt triple masking. I can't see Johnny Cash standing Dr. Fauci. So he says, my apologies to the anti-maskers in Virginia. I rushed to judge you last summer, and that was wrong. He says, may you continue to resist any whiff of conformism with righteous fury. May you give no quarter to the elite consensus of elite institutions. And may you never stop being pissed off. It may just save this republic. This is Michael Warren Davis. I've got a link to his commentary in today's show notes. This is one you might want to share with friends. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm just going to throw in one more quick reminder for you that uh, this this special, which lasts through September 25th from LifesavingFood.com, that's one of my sponsors. This is one I really hope you'll at least examine and hopefully take advantage of. You can go to the link that I provide in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is part and parcel of National Preparedness Month, which it turns out was all of this month. But, uh, hey, until actually through September 25th, if you go to lifesavingfood.com and you make a purchase there, you can take 20% off simply by using the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E. That's my last name. Use that as your coupon code, 20% off, whether you're looking for starter food kits, long-term supply, survival kits. I was really impressed with the, uh, I was impressed with the Hunter's food kit, since a lot of people will be heading for the hills. Delicious freeze-dried meals that all you have to do is add water in a convenient bucket with an easy grab-and-go handle, and, and much more affordable than you would think. Plus, again, take 20% off by using Hide at checkout. All right, one final note for our final segment of the show today. Uh, You know, our deteriorating social and political conditions are causing a lot of people to consider, some of them for the first time, the possibility of removing themselves from the control of the political class. And Doug Casey shares his top three actionable tips on how you can get out of Dodge while there's still time to do so. So this takes the form of an interview that he did with International Man, and uh, it's published on LewRockwell.com. International Man says, you know, almost every government and country in the world is going the wrong direction from a personal freedom standpoint. In the last two years, if, if they've been any indication, the situation could get much worse before it gets better. So they asked Doug Casey, how can individuals limit the impact of government overreach in their day-to-day lives? And Doug Casey says, well, the first thing is to become self-employed. You don't want a job where you're dependent on somebody else, or worse, some organization. The bigger the organization, the less relative importance you have, and the more danger you're in. So he says, assess your resources and abilities. Try to become an entrepreneur. The world has an unlimited desire for goods and services. An entrepreneur figures out how to satisfy them. Now, it takes thought knowledge and hard work. But he also points out there's an unlimited upside. An employee, by contrast, just does what he's told for a wage. Most are easily replaceable cubicle dwellers these days. So being an employee is both high risk and low reward. The second thing he says you can do is not support the state in any way. The state is not your friend. In fact, it's your enemy. It takes a fat slice of your earnings and in return tells you what you can and can't do. Find ways to reduce your contact with it and deny it both resources and approval. Minimize the taxes you pay so that you don't feed the beast. Now, you understand what he's saying? He's not saying cheat on your taxes. He's saying minimize the taxes that you pay. Some of the ways you can do that, you can buy things secondhand. Right? Do you have a a Facebook neighborhood? Right? You can look around. You can find items. Yeah, you have to do a little bit of looking around, but you're denying the state the sales tax. You're denying the federal government taxes. Just depends on how committed you are. He says, now that includes this uh, denying the state its uh, approval 
includes don't participate in elections. I know that's that's like, oh, you can't say that. We have to. That's the high sacrament of our civic religion. But Doug Casey says your choice is almost always the lesser of two evils anyway. Just remember, the people who want to be in office are desirous of controlling other people. Voters are dupes at best, voting for Tweedledee or Tweedledum while endorsing the corrupt system itself. In fact, he says it's questionable whether your vote ever does any good or even counts. Ultimately, he says the best situation is the one that Ayn Rand outlined in her novel Atlas Shrugged, which is to put yourself in a position where you can just check out of the system and live in a parallel economy because the old one is going down anyway. Surround yourself with sound, like-minded people to the greatest degree possible. See, if I were to put that in my own terms, I would be saying, this is the time to be building your community, wherever you happen to be. And building your community doesn't mean, well, we have to, you know, create a planned unit development and we're all going to live here on the same cul-de-sac and, you know, we'll have regular meetings of, uh, you know, the homeowners association. You don't have to even live next door to each other. But you do need to know who are like-minded people on whom you could count. And the idea about having to be self-employed, oh man, I, I've resisted that for so many years, but I'm so grateful to have made the step into full self-employment. And I don't know what it is that, you know, you know what's, what's the answer for you? Well, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what my marketable skills are. Find what you have or get started on developing skills that allow you to be self-employed. Don't stand there and wring your hands waiting for something else, you know, to, to take place. Doug Casey's also asked about how vaccine mandates are threatening millions of people's livelihoods. Politicians and companies are threatening people, telling them get the jab or lose their jobs. And so Doug Casey has asked, what can the average person do to avoid being coerced by such threats? And he says, well, this is another reason you don't want to be reliant on an employer and why you want to be an entrepreneur. Other than that, he says you should take opportunities to speak out because most people lack courage and keep their thoughts to themselves. And that's a big mistake. Don't roll over just because it's convenient. If you act like a docile sheep or scared rabbit, you'll get what you deserve. He says in the short run, there are ways to avoid the vaccine. For instance, the cities are full of bums on the street. Maybe you can find someone who looks like you. Lend him your ID. Shepherd him to a Walgreens and have him take the vaccination in your stead to get the paper. Although he says, I'm sure that's just a temporary palliative because it would appear they're going to make people take booster shots every six months as the virus mutates. And they'll probably require some kind of bioidentification or the implementation of a chip to ensure that you don't find a way to get around this, in addition to imposing nasty penalties, which you're already seeing with people using uh, falsified vaccine cards. Now, some people have thought about radical counters to the threats of government and corporations. For instance, if airlines require you become vaccinated in order to fly, some who are well-organized might get a 100 friends together to book a flight and then show up without vaccine cards. Solutions like that are inconvenient and costly, not just for the airlines, though. And it's a real problem since we're moving into a genuine police state. There will likely be draconian penalties penalties rather imposed on the 20% of the country that thinks for itself. But he says, on the other hand, if there are enough adverse reactions to the vaccine, 
the hysteria might blow over in six months. Doug Casey says, I'm waiting at least another year or two before considering it. I don't like the playing the role of a guinea pig, and certainly not unnecessarily. Now, there was another question here. What about the unfortunate people who live behind this new Iron Curtain, where you have like Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and other countries in the so-called free world turning into explicit totalitarian police states? What can these people do to protect themselves? And Doug Casey's answer is, well, as the inmates of the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, Mao's China, Pol Pot's Cambodia, and many other places have found, there's not much you can do once a place becomes a serious police state. Because at that point, it's dangerous to do anything. So he says, at this stage, I think non-cooperation is still the best approach. Don't be complacent and make supplicating motions to the apparatchiks of the state when they require you to do things. Don't cooperate to the greatest degree possible. Now, he says, of course, it's easy for me to say this is an academic matter, but it's going to become increasingly dangerous because society is full of rats that want to turn you in as a potential enemy to the state or as a potential terrorist. In fact, he recommends, if, if you haven't watched it already, watch the series The Man in the High Castle, which gives an alternate history of the U.S. if it had lost World War II. And it has lots of interesting discussions and observations about how easily the average American would roll over and cooperate with whoever gives him orders. He also recommends everybody rewatch V for Vendetta. It pretty much mimics, at least up to its spectacular climax, what's going on today right down to the virus. You may not agree with everything that Doug Casey is recommending here, and I'm certainly not insisting that you should. But I will tell you, the guy has a pretty solid take on what's going on. And I find it definitely worth considering some of the options that he offers or some of the observations that he offers and some of the solutions he puts forward. One thing I know for sure, sitting in place, waiting for someone to ride to the rescue is not going to cut it. I hate to end on a sour note, but nobody is coming to rescue you. You are going to have to do it for yourself. The good news is you're more than capable of it. It just requires some courage and commitment. This is The Brian Hyde Show.